First you trade the Cadillac for a microphone. Then you lie to me about the band. Now you're gonna put me right back in the joint. They're not gonna catch us. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode 131, and our movie this week was The Blues Brothers. Joining me to talk about it, because he had never seen it before, is Dennis from Botch. Dennis, how are you doing? I am just peachy as always, and uh, I found this to be a great opportunity because I have been getting consistent crap from everybody for not having seen Blues Brothers. And it's not streaming anywhere, so I ended up having to buy my own copy of it. Oh, wow. just watched it this past weekend, so yeah. Well, that's dedication right there. Uh, Thanks for giving me a reason to watch this to get that monkey (laughs) off my back. (laughs) Yeah, when uh, when, uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, Phil Keating, who has been on this show and is Mm -hmm. your your cohort and many a thing was like, thank you so much for finally making him watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Hetero life partner. I think yes. is what we call each other. There yep. you go. Mm-hmm. That, that works. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a movie. This was actually the first Saturday night live skit turned into a movie. Um, oh, and one of the things that I do want to talk about, I, and I want to get to it a little bit later, but I want to kind of talk about different skits that came out of that show, uh, mm-hmm. and have been made into movies, but this is 1980. Uh, starring mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd, Jim, uh, John Belushi, um, directed by John Landis, too, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of fun. Uh, some of the the interesting things I read about this, the very first draft of the script Dan Aykroyd wrote was 324 pages long. Okay. If, that if sounds you, like Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Especially like early, <laughs> late 70s, early 80s Dan Aykroyd, because I think the mm-hmm. first, I want to say the first script for Ghostbusters was something ridiculous like that too. Yeah. Like he just, and, and a lot of that is Aykroyd likes to really over explain things. Yeah. Um, John Landis came on, they cut the script down, uh, but the first cut of it was still two hours and 40 minutes long. I think the, okay. the, the first cut um, it ended up getting down. It's surprise. I always forget that this is like two hours and 15 minutes long as a theatrical comedy. That's yeah. long for a comedy, and yeah. it's long for a musical. I was going to say, yeah, that, that's that's just kind of long. It's a little longer than like average movies these days. I mean, mm-hmm. right now it's like hour and a half, two hours. So even 2.15 for just, I mean, a, I couldn't tell you the last comedy I've seen that was a two-hour movie. Like, that's Yeah, just, usually comedies are getting out an hour, hour and 30 to an hour and 45. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it's tough to string along like a lot of the narratives that end up in a comedy. It's tough to do for yeah. two hours. Mm-hmm. This also, there is also a extended edition of this um, that they put out, I want to say it was in the late 90s, or maybe it was okay. mid or, and I think you had that version on your Blu-ray. It was. I watched the theatrical just to be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured I'd, I'd watch the extended another time. Yeah. Because uh, So for instance, and this is a total aside, like uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, one of my favorite movies of all time. Sure. Yeah. I hate the extended version of it. The scenes that they add, I don't find that they add anything to the movie other than to just fill in a couple small gaps. Yeah. So extended versions to me are not always like the Lord of the Rings extended versions where it's like, oh, you get all this other good stuff. 
Yeah, so. extended versions are very hit or miss for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they can work when it's your, uh, you know, Peter Jackson putting stuff back in that isn't part of the main plot, but gives you more of the world and yeah. kind of fleshes a lot of stuff out. So I've watched both versions of this movie, the extended version, which is about 14 minutes longer. Okay. Most of that extended part is the songs are longer. You get more, oh, okay. you get like an extra verse in, in one or two of the songs. Um, okay. And there's little things like that. Like, um, so the probably the most impressive thing about this entire movie, aside from, well, there's two things, the car chases uh, and stunt work that they did for that, and then the music. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I did read that the studio initially kept trying to push them to have more contemporary artists and kind of mm-hmm. try, to, try to bank on, because um, this style of blues music was not super popular uh, when when you compare it to pop or disco at the sure. time or, or anything sure. like that. And they were trying to push more in that direction, but Akrod and Belushi definitely didn't want that. Because mm-hmm. were you familiar with the Blues Brothers as kind of a, a characters and a concept prior to this? I mean, how much did you really so, know about that? So I uh, did not see... So I, I've seen a lot of SNL, but that particular uh, like era of SNL is a mm-hmm. little lost on me. I, I haven't seen a ton of stuff from that, so I didn't even know that the blues brothers was originally like an SNL skit. Okay. Um, okay. I know a bunch of other ones that are, but that for some reason I, yeah, I didn't, didn't know that one was. And not only was it yeah. a, uh, an SNL skit, they were a real band. They toured, they put out a couple of albums, uh, they charted. Oh. Um, oh, wow. So the story behind it is kind of cool because Ackroyd has talked in interviews about, he grew up in Ottawa, Canada, and he, uh, there was a place nearby where he lived that had a lot of blues music. So he got to spend a lot of time with that, and he enjoyed blues music. He gotcha. introduced John Belushi to blues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from what I read, there was a blues bar of some kind that Aykroyd rented out in uh, after SNL tapings, and they would, mm. you know, the cast would go and hang out there and listen to stuff. And basically, he got Belushi into it, and Belushi just ran with it. And he could always sing, and he had mm. a musical background of his own. So yeah. They ended up forming a band, and uh, part of it was, and I did not know this until just recently, Howard Shore was the music director for SNL at the time, mm-hmm. um, which I did not know. I love Howard Shore, um, yeah. but somehow just never learned that fact. And yeah. uh, he kind of proposed the idea, and then they built a, they made a band, and part of the original band was Paul Schaefer. Um, who went on to be with David Letterman for many, many years. Okay. And uh, and then Schaefer, by the time the movie came around, Schaefer was working on Gilda Live, I think, with Gilda Radner. And so okay. he couldn't yep. do that, Radner. so they replaced him with somebody else. But but the actual band in this movie is mm-hmm. mostly the band they had that played with them on SNL. Um, so these were all blues musicians, a lot of studio musicians and session guys. Yeah. Um, and But yeah, it was a, it was a full-on, like, Ackroyd and Belushi would go on tour and promote it and recorded a couple of albums and it's kept going since then. After John Belushi died, yeah. uh, a few years later, Jim would play with him um, mm-hmm. and uh, they kept doing, they kept putting out uh, albums and recording stuff live and doing like charity type stuff. It, it's kind of cool to wow. for it to be so much more than just like this one-off kind of skit idea that they turned into a movie. Yeah. Um, it, well, that, I, f- I feel like a lot of, I'm not sure if, uh, was Steve Martin during the same SNL period or was he? He would have been around there and maybe a little bit after that, but 
you know he's another one he, yeah he's he's a big musician still oh, yeah. like he's apparently like an epic banjo player like i've seen some clips mm -hmm. of him like really great stuff so i mean the, those i would say those first maybe like three or four eras of snl like the cast were so talented in like so many different areas yeah and like they were just creators so like they created all kinds of different stuff so like they were mm -hmm. really good at comedy but some of them have done like really serious stuff as well and then the music part i mean what well so you had talked about before like what was most impressive to you in the movie the most impressive thing to me that blew me away was the cinematography yeah like the 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 way they shot certain things like when uh belushi gets out of jail and the gates open and there's that bright like yellow light mm -hmm. in the background mm -hmm. Or just the shot from underneath the grate as they're walking and stuff oh, like that. There was that just one. like really good. And I was actually kind of taken aback when the movie first started because the first shot is just like this almost apocalyptic looking <laughs> Midwest, just the factory town sort of thing. And I was like, what is, I, I, I had an idea in my head of what this movie was supposed to be. And like the beginning totally threw me for a loop. So um, yeah, but yeah, I would say the most impressive thing to me was the cinematography. And it really was like, you mentioned the the shot under the grate and kind of that whole opening sequence. I just really love that because yeah. what it does is it takes this silly premise and the silly mm -hmm. concept. And I like John Landis. I've enjoyed mm -hmm. a lot of his movies, you know, American werewolf in London. I'm a big fan of uh, trading places. Yep. Um, oh yeah. Love it. You know, spies like us is, is mm -hmm. amazing. Like I like John Landis. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> like John Landis stuff especially in this era, this kind of earlier stuff, he just, he took a lot of chances. He did stuff that was interesting to me, um, visually, yeah. both, both cinematography and then like stunt work. I mean, watching this movie and realizing 95% of it is in-camera effects and in-camera work. Um, mm -hmm. There's a couple of shots you can tell are, are green screened or blue screen projection behind them in, when they're in the cars. It was just um, usual when they're just driving and chatting. Yep, just driving and chatting or when the, the car is dropping. Um, oh yeah. Uh, but, but outside of that, everything is done in camera and it's so just visually interesting to watch. Um, and then to oh, think yeah. about the fact that they had to do all this and they're driving, I think they got permit to drive under the L train in Chicago for that stretch that they did at like 118 miles an hour. They, they yeah. closed off the street and they had to do two passes because the first mm -hmm. time through there were no pedestrians and it didn't look right. Oh, uh, okay. so they put in stunt performers for pedestrian work. Sure. Uh, this movie was famously over budget. Um, it ended up with like a $30 million budget almost in 1980, wow. which is yeah, huge. Yeah. Uh, there well, is Phil and I were talking about that during the movie. We were saying like this movie, like especially I think it came up right during that scene where literally the cop cars are just as fast as possible running into one another. Yeah. And we're like the budget on this movie has to be like, what did they? And then the tanks roll in. We're like, what did they pay for this movie? <laughs> And then we looked it up, and they made like uh, way more than their budget was. So it was, yeah. They ended up worldwide somewhere around 115 million uh, yeah. for the movie, and it was like 27 to 30 million uh, for the budget. Um, but try to think like I want to say that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 million dollars by today's money. But Probably, I can't yeah. think of, I can't think of a comedy that would get a budget like that these days that isn't there were like there are at name performers in this yeah but 
the actors that are name performers that would command a large salary would be your John Belushi and your Dan Aykroyd. Outside of that, yeah. it's cameos from, and I want to talk about those because there's so many great oh, sure. cameos. In oh, here. yeah. And then a bunch of, you know, a, a lot of musicians who you're not going to have to pay as much as an actor to be in it. Sure, sure. Um, so just that amazes me that they could, they, they were able to do that. Now, there was, I guess, some sort of uh, rumor of like Spielberg and Landis kind of trying to go back and forth on who could make the more expensive movie as sort of a friendly wager. Okay. Because I think which makes sense because he does pop up at the end. <laughs> he does. So, um, and I think it was the year before this came out was Spielberg's 1941, which was right around that 25 to 30 million dollar budget, too, and okay. also had Belushi in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of funny, but uh, yeah, so okay, all right. Uh, I love the fact that John Landis will put, um, uh, as I like to say, better directors as cameos in his movies. Um, mm-hmm. I always noticed that it was, uh, it was Terry Gilliam and Sam Raimi and somebody else in Spies Like Us. Because Raimi was in it it's with another so director, seen it. and I can't think of who it was now. Um, but this movie had Spielberg show up at the end in the clerk's yep. office. That was great. Uh, he says, like, maybe one line? Yeah, like maybe one two or two lines? <laughs> I, think he, I think he has one line, and then he has the line, and here's your receipt. And he hands and it to him. And here's your receipt, yeah. Um, Frank Oz in the beginning. Yep. Uh, which so I I I've seen that guy in a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. I was like, I know I know him, <laughs> but I don't remember where I know him from. And then when it pops up at the end, Frank Oz is like, Oh my God, Frank! Okay, yep. <laughs> so and I know Frank Oz was also in Spies Like Us, um, for sure. Uh, yep. Frank Oz is one of those. I as a director, I really like him. Uh, mm-hmm. I've loved his movies. Um, his his movie uh, Death at a Funeral, his version is fantastic i I just love that movie um Mm -hmm. but seeing him pop up it's always great because i wait to see how much he's going to sound like either fozzy bear or yoda uh and then they have a nice little in joke where the guy in the toys r us is asking if they have a miss piggy yep which was cool so you you get your frank oz your steven spielberg um carrie uh uh, carrie fisher um who (laughs) her character is just like this movie is like a live action cartoon yeah, I mean, it really 100%. is like it totally you you just suspend your disbelief and enjoy oh, the the, the yeah. ridiculousness. But her character especially is great because for three quarters or nine tenths of the movie, you have no idea even why she's there at all. And she just has this blood vendetta against them. We don't know even which one it yeah. is. She just, yeah. I, her first scene is pretty much shooting the rocket launcher at them. She shoots four rockets into this building and then they just get up brush it off and go in the building and i'm like okay okay well i felt like while watching this movie that there was like a lot of either backstory or inside jokes like with the characters Mm -hmm. but not for the audience to get so i actually really dug that that they were it was like, oh yeah, you remember that thing? Or it was Carrie Fisher shows up, fires rockets, then blows up the building. Yeah. But like, it's never talked about until the very, very end, where it's like, okay, that makes sense now. But like, even if they had never explained it, it would have still been great. Oh Just yeah. because it's like this weird little side thing. I yeah, happens. I love absurdist humor in that way, like that kind oh, yeah. of joke where it's just like this random character is going to show up and do something that makes zero sense, both to an audience and in context, but it's funny because it's played, yeah. it's played earnestly. That's I think the best part is yeah. her character is never like 
Carrie Fisher never goes like way overboard with it. She just plays it like this really jaded person oh, who, yeah. who has some sort of blood vendetta against the Blues Brothers yeah. for whatever reason. That's um, why I like Top Secret and Airplane. Like yes. it's the exact same thing. They take it completely serious, but it's completely ridiculous and off the wall in terms of what's happening within mm-hmm. the context of the story and whatnot. And, and I think yeah, that, I love that same stuff too. Yeah, I think that good, uh, good satire can get away with that. Top Secret, yeah. Airplane, um, you know th- those kinds Naked of movies. Gun. Naked Gun does it well. Um, I mean, those those guys could could pull that off. That's also why I like the satire that Edgar Wright does because I think he yep. goes in that same direction. He maybe mm-hmm. gets a little bit silly with it, but his characters in the moment are playing it earnestly, and that's what makes yep. it work. And yeah, because when you're doing satire that way, you're punching up. Yeah, and so it it doesn't seem mean spirited. And, no. and and that's where I think where this movie really worked um, mm-hmm. is that same kind of thing because it's got that absurd stuff. It's got a lot of satirical things going on. Uh, the music, again, we talked about so we talked about Frank Oz, we talked about Spielberg, Carrie Fisher shows up. You've mm-hmm. got um, and then musicians. Aretha Franklin has her musical James number. Brown. James Brown's got a musical number. Cab Calloway's got gets a musical number. Yep. Uh, so many so many good things. Ray Charles. Ray Charles gets a musical number. <laughs> His scene is great in that store. Oh yeah, it's so good because of like the the <laughs> moment where he flips out and shoots at the kid. Yeah. First of all, it's just insane that the guy just unloads on this kid in the store. But then sure. he's blind on top of that. Yeah. Also, I didn't notice until this time watching it. I recognized that kid. You know who that was? Who was it? Have you seen Die Hard? Yeah. That was Argyle. That was Argyle. That's Argyle from wow. Die Hard. Something I Wasn't never Die noticed Hard only it before. Like five years later, uh, it was about eight years later. Eight 80, years later, or 80, okay. 87, 88 was Die Hard. Okay, okay, because this was eighty one. Eighty. Eighty. Okay. Nineteen eighty. Okay. Yep. All right, that makes a little bit more. sense. This movie actually opened the exact <laughs> same day as uh, Empire Strikes Back. Oh. So Frank Oz had two movies open at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. But yeah, just like. I love seeing John Lee Hooker too, um, who has a great yeah. scene uh, outside the the soul food restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd mentioned that the extended edition, most of it was longer songs. So it, okay. basically, every song got extra time, whether it was okay. the the concert at the end or all. So that's where a lot of that time came in. There were a couple of extra scenes too. Mm-hmm. Um, the most notable scene, I think, was there's one in the extended edition where they park the car. Um, early on, they park it in like this. It's it's like a uh, underground uh, spot next to like a big electrical transformer. And the commentary track from Landis talks about how like Dan Aykroyd had this, this idea that he parked the car there as a way to charge it up. And that's why it could drive better than these other cars. And it had all this because it sat next to this huge electrical transformer and got charged up. And Landis is like, yeah, no, the car is just magic. We'll just deal with that. So they cut that scene because <laughs> this is really okay. long scene where like, he opens the door to this place and he gets back into the car and he drives it in where it's just wide enough to fit the car. And then mm-hmm. he has to crawl out of the window and walk over top of the car to leave. And it's, it's long and okay. it didn't need to be there. So that's one of those where it's like, mm, there's an extended edition. I actually like the theatrical version of this better. Yeah. Um, okay. Because I think it keeps the pacing going. Uh, I love yeah. the music, but in a musical, I kind of want the songs to, to, I want the pacing to be snappy. And I feel yeah, like you, you get in, you get out when you need to, um, you don't linger for too long on anything. I felt like in, in this movie, which was, yeah. which was very nice. Yeah. That extra 15 minutes just makes, 
close to a two and a half hour comedy with a lot of musical mm-hmm. numbers, and it, it does get a little bit long. You know, if you like the music, it's not terrible, but it definitely yeah. uh, was one was one of those. I just sure. uh, th- this movie's a ton of fun too, and yeah, man, those stunts like I. I forget sometimes because I hadn't seen this movie in a few years. So for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I kept putting the mall car chase towards the end, forgetting okay. that that car chase at the end was a different one. Yeah. But like that was cool because they found an abandoned or a, a disused mall. And oh. so the mall wasn't being used. They mm-hmm. they did a bunch of work to get all the storefronts to look real. They, they bought sure. a bunch of stuff on wholesale that they could put up and whatever wasn't damaged, they gave back. Sure. Um, but and apparently they got uh, Universal Pictures got sued over that mall because rumors started going around that the mall was being refurbished and going to be reopened, and then that didn't happen. Uh, and so somebody tried to sue them for like eighty-seven thousand dollars or something. I don't remember what? exactly what, like okay. something kind of ridiculous. But that that chase through that mall is awesome because they can cra- they can really crash into stuff and they can really knock all this stuff around. And, See, I thought it was just a set because of that. Like they mm-hmm. just like I feel like they were almost just like for the hell of it, just <laughs> driving in, like just driving into just stuff over and over again. I was like, is this getting you away from the cops any faster? Or are you just on purpose <laughs> driving into stores because they would run into a store, back up a little bit and then turn and then run into another store and then back up and turn. I was like. Okay. I mean, I yeah. guess if you got the set work with it, but okay. So yeah, if they just refurbished a full mall, yeah. Why not just destroy the whole thing? Yeah. And, <laughs> and what's great is the scene is played out so wonderfully because here's all this chaos going on. And could you imagine being an extra for that or part of the stunt crew and you got to dodge literal cars driving through oh, yeah. a mall? Like, Oh yeah. There's, there's no CG going on in that. Um, but then while it's all going on, you got Jake and Elwood just casually commenting on things in the mall. Oh wow. They got yeah. this here. Uh, oh yeah, and and I can remember. I'm old enough to remember when there were malls that had some of that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. However, I don't ever remember an actual car dealership in a mall. Uh, I can I, remember. I only remember cars being in malls, but yes. I don't remember there being a dealership. In but a that one had like a full-on dealership, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just uh, like that scene, and then the the chase at the end is so insane. Uh, going all well, the way to Chicago. That's the thing that I was like, so like we'd had some craziness with the rockets and the building blowing up. Yeah. But then the very end with the Nazi thing where it goes off a, like an overpass and then all of a sudden it's hella, it's helicopter dropped from like a hundred stories up. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, what just happened? <laughs> and then it just goes through the ground. I was like, okay, yep. sure. Yep. All right. And apparently they had to do that twice because the FAA made them practice it first. Okay. To drop it, uh, something like that. I don't. I don't know, but yeah. Most most of the stunt work in this had to be done twice because um, a lot of the driving scenes I mentioned they they had to put extras back in to make it not look make like it, it look was real. sped up footage. Yeah. Um, but man, so at the time this had the world record for the most cars wrecked in a movie. With 103 cars, were I believe just, it were, were destroyed I mean, making this movie. It was an insane amount of cop cars. I was like, I guess they'll just keep driving full speed into one another. I was <laughs> like, at this point, it's just over. yeah, it's just silly. They're just all right. Blah, blah, blah. Well, um, when when you've already established that somebody will blow up an entire building, exactly. I mean, and yeah. and not only will they blow up that building, but 
our our heroes and the, the the police that were after them will just get up and brush it off like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Just nothing brush happened. off the the bricks and walk away. Yep. I wonder what happened to the rest of the people in that building though. We never see them again. It's true. You never do. Oh, they're probably they probably just get up later. Yeah, they're they're fine. Yeah, the um, cheese whiz guy. Yeah, they're all, <laughs> they're all fine. That's how he's listed in the movie, by the way. Yeah, Mr. Cheese Whiz. Cheese whiz. Yep. <laughs> Uh, this movie also has some lines that I like to quote a lot. The dry white toast, uh, for whatever reason, Elwood just always eats toast. Um, yeah. I actually like how when he's at the music store, there's a toaster oven. There's and he's all like sorts of musical instruments out. and a toaster oven. And yeah. that's what he gravitates to. Um, but, uh, uh, four fried chickens and a Coke. And a Coke. <laughs> and he keeps saying, and a Coke, over and over again. What what I like about that scene, like, that part is great. And Aretha Franklin, Aretha Franklin's good for the small amount of time she's in this. I don't think yeah. she had done a lot of acting prior to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but she super believe. I think she's a better actor than Matt Guitar Murphy was. Like, Oh, yeah. His, um, he, I, I found him to be a little awkward in that scene. Because, like, he's doing these little weird little pigeon step thing as he, like, moves around. I was like, his part looks really awkward in stage, <laughs> whereas the rest of it seems very natural, even yeah. though it's a musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love his reaction when she comes in and is like, the the skinny one wants dry white toast. He's like, Elwood? <laughs> like, he just knows exactly that's yeah. who it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, that Four always cracks me up. Jake? What do, you, do, you want, do you want wings or legs? No, four fried chickens. <laughs> And a Coke. <laughs> John Belushi is so, so good in this. And it's it's sad that we lost him two years later. He died in 1982. Two years later. So Damn. he didn't he did not last long after this. And it's unfortunate because he had such good comedic timing, such charisma mm-hmm. to him. I mean, he definitely you can see a lot of his influence in Chris Farley, who sadly oh, yeah. also passed away too early. But yep. it's that same he was he was charismatic. He was also a lot more agile and could move around a lot better than you would think for a guy his size. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say so. I guess he hurt himself quite a bit making this movie. Uh, <laughs> I think he sprained or strained his back when he fell down the stairs in that desk. In the desk, yeah. Not a stunt I would want to do at all. Like, no. That, to me, is a form of torture. That's basically being tied to a chair and just kicked down some stairs. Like, Yeah. Which, by the way, that whole... Uh, we got to go see the penguin scene. It was great. <laughs> Especially where the doors eerily closed behind them. Yes. And then she just glides around all oh. over the place. <laughs> What's great is putting that scene at the beginning of the movie sets you up for what you get to see the rest of the way. Because oh, yeah. you're you're getting the little breadcrumbs of the absurd thing. And it's just they just keep ramping it up from there. And Ace yeah. in the chat brings up a good point. He was also high on cocaine a lot. Um, uh, yeah. But most of the cast and crew was from what I read. Uh, it's the 80s. Because, yes, it was the 80s and they were shooting a lot at night and they wanted to stay awake. So yeah. uh, I think Carrie Fisher had said at some point, like, basically everybody involved was either a dealer or knew a dealer and could get cocaine. Uh, I don't I don't know how exactly accurate that is. I don't want to say one way or the other, but but I can I, I can guess pretty well that a lot of cocaine was uh, was oh, taken yeah. in during the making of this movie. Oh, I'm um, sure. By pretty much everybody. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, um, probably. <laughs> so in terms of a musical, this isn't your traditional like Broadway style musical. Well, I was I was actually talking to Phil about that while we we're watching. I was like, I feel like this movie is a musical based on the amount of music. Now, when we had that conversation, they hadn't done a musical number yet. 
Okay. So it, it had gone a while into the movie. There's lots of music in the background and stuff like that. And I'm like, this feels like it's a musical, but it's not a musical. And then the James Brown number hit. And I'm like, okay, so like, kind is it is? now a musical? Yeah. But, but it was like so sporadic when it would happen. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the musical is more, it's a concert. So it's not even really yeah, like and that's... a musical. It just starts and just happens for willy nilly. But so it, it was like sort of a weird in between thing. But I, I and I thought it worked. But oh, it's it totally just, did. Yeah, I it think was just different than normal musicals. Yeah, I think what what was weird about it, or what makes it kind of toe the line, is like the James Brown number kind mm-hmm. of fits with the church 100%. and the gospel, the gospel music, yep. and all that. Even when it gets ridiculous to the point of like you can tell people are hopping on trampolines <laughs> and doing all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're flying way up in the second story. But at the same time, like it is definitely you. Uh, there are churches that are like that. Yeah. So it sort of it fits into the context of what's going on in the scene. It doesn't feel like the one in the diner feels like a Broadway style musical. Like yeah. it just jumps into a musical number and everybody yeah. starts dancing in the diner for no reason, and then they yeah. go on. But then you're right. Towards the end, it's it's uh you know they've got the the scene at uh, Bob's Country Bunker mm-hmm. uh, where they play where they're playing a show. They play both kinds of music, country and western. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I so I was watching that scene and I was like, what's with the chicken wire? It feels like you'll see. And then I was like, oh, okay. What I was lo- like, some movies wouldn't tell you. Like it would just be like, there's just chicken wire there. Like, yeah. Whatever. Well, what but I they love, show you real quick. <laughs> yes. And what I love about the chicken wire is it's there whether the band is good or bad. Yeah. Because they'll be cheering <laughs> and still throwing bottles and they just sort of like dodge the glass a little bit. And they're like, all right. The version of Rawhide, too, like that moment is great because you see Jake. Jake is upset. He is angry that they're not going to get to play the music they want. So he Mm -hmm. just, that is, that is like prime John Belushi. Just fold his arms in anger, but he's still going to sing because he 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 just can't help. (laughs) Then he gets a whip because he gets into it. Right. Uh, And then, of course, there's the concert at the end. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Was and it's been a while since I've watched the theatrical version. I the uh when they do Minnie the Mooch, um, was it the full version where he's in like the tux and everything? Okay, so so the entire stage changes, so Mm -hmm. instead of them looking like their normal band, it looks like the old bandstand where it's got like the white uh little pedestals and everyone's got the it's the fancy lettering and they're all wearing white suits, and yeah, then it's it's again the the co- it's still a concert, but obviously their attire has changed. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the song ends, it just goes back to what it actually is. Yeah. Okay. And I couldn't remember if that was just in the extended or not, but uh, I love that. And then, and then mm-hmm. of course, the Blues oh, yeah. Brothers review at the end. Then mm-hmm. they have the the stuff in the jail after they get uh, yeah taken in. Mm-hmm. Um, two things about the end of that. One, the uh, the assault on Daily Plaza. Um, in Chicago, apparently was like $3 million of the budget was for that alone. Wow. Uh, between all the extras and everything like that. Um, sure. And also, uh, I did read that um, Joe Walsh, who was part of the Eagles, is the inmate at the end of the movie, the first one that jumps up on the table with the long hair, was Joe Walsh. Okay. And so huh. after I read that, I went back and I looked at that scene, and you can see his face for like two frames. I'm like, yeah, that's Joe Walsh. What do you huh. know? Um, that assault on Daily Plaza was an insane. Hot, 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 hot. <laughs> that, that gets me every time I see it. 
I love yeah. that. When the army shows up and they're all in like World War II era stuff too, which I thought yeah. was funny. Um, <laughs> they're rolling tanks up to the plaza. <laughs> like the old tanks. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Old tanks, old Jeeps. They got like fifties yeah. era Jeeps. With like the the whole machine gun on it. I was like, okay, yeah, no, it's this is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This this tracks. Uh and I don't know how true this piece of trivia is, but if it's true, I really like it. Was that was the first movie shot on location in Chicago since like the late fifties because Mayor Daly refused to let anyone shoot there based off of something that happened uh, in the story of a movie from late fifties about like corruption. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Did they mention the Daly being dead in the movie? They did. They I was going to say, so maybe that's sort of like a little tie in a bit. Cause the I, fancy restaurant is like, no, he doesn't eat it anymore. Cause he's dead. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and that was part of that trivia. It was, they said that now I do know that, um, I read that, it was either Ackroyd and Belushi or it was Universal Pictures ended up donating like $50,000 to uh, the city of Chicago or some orphanages or something in Chicago in order to help them to get uh, rights to film in downtown Chicago. Okay. That was fun for me because I've been to Daily Plaza. So when they're driving the car uh, through okay. there, I was like, oh, I've been there. I've stood. In fact, if I were there, I would have gotten run over because that's exactly where I stood <laughs> was where they drove the car. Um, so... Uh, was it the first movie film on location in Chicago after the depiction of Chicago police officer taking a bribe in M squad, the jumper resulted in mayor Richard Daly banning location filming in the city for the entire time of it. He was in office. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, that all works right. for me. Also John yeah. Wayne's son. Now they film Ethan. all the time there. Yeah. Oh yeah. One of my favorite movies was shot in uh, Chicago running scared set, set oh, and shot okay. in Chicago. Hmm. Um, John Wayne's son, Ethan Wayne was a stunt driver. Well, they, they had a lot of stunt oh. drivers in this movie. Uh, oh, I'm sure. They had to. <laughs> very, very, very many. Um, I, I like that they were able to shoot a lot of stuff in Chicago because there's something about the look of downtown Chicago that I just it really like. It, yeah. It, it, it Downtown Chicago is a very unique mm-hmm. sort of city, in compare, especially with the, the train. Like, yeah. That alone I, makes it more unique. than. That's why it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb whenever a movie uses like portions of Chicago versus, mm-hmm. but they're supposed to be set in another city. It's like, no, 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 that's definitely not, uh, it's not New York. That's, uh, yeah. that's Chicago. <laughs> that's not Gotham city. That's Chicago. I know that. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to get me with that movie. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I just, I love the look of it. So it was nice that they were able to shoot a lot of stuff there. Um, mm-hmm. the bridge that they, that they did the uh, the Illinois Nazi scene on when they first show up um, mm-hmm. was actually a bridge where something similar actually happened uh, oh. in the seventies. There was some kind of a protest going mm-hmm. on. Uh, I remember. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. I just uh, you mentioned the cinematography, and I have to come back to that because man, this movie looks good. Yeah, it's not shot it's like what, a comedy. Forty years later. Still yeah. looks great. Like Four, 41 years later, uh, still yeah. looks good. It's not shot like a comedy would be. It's no. shot like an action film. Yeah. Um, for the most part. I mean, there are, yeah, mm-hmm. there are some kind of two shots when they're in the car, but even True. that just feels more like a buddy cop movie um, yeah. than it does, you know, just a straight comedy 
were about yeah. music. Uh, so, and I think that plays well, as you were saying, they play the movie completely straight. Yes, a co- like a comedy would they be cracking one-liners and doing this or that? So it makes more sense to shoot it in that comedy sort of way, whereas the action movie way, no, does mm-hmm. like the point of this scene is the car chase yeah they'll like comment on something as if they're just normal joe schmo but like the point that it's funny is because they are taking it so serious while also taking well having all this ridiculous stuff like a thousand cop cars just rolling over one another yeah or or, you know marine using marine epoxy to glue somebody's foot to the accelerator so they can't stop their winnebago that was one of my favorite things in the movie is that Looney Tunes bag he has because it just has like all kinds of random stuff in it mm-hmm. that he just has for whatever scenario that he needs at the moment. Yes. Uh, and Ace, you bring up uh, the only time John Candy and John Belushi appeared in a movie together, but they were both in 1941 because wasn't John Candy in, in that as well? I thought he was, but it, that, it I haven't seen that movie in probably 15 or more years. Hmm. I don't know. Um, That's another one that was sadly lost too early. I oh, loved yeah. John Candy. Oh, John Candy was great. Great John Outdoors, great. Uncle Buck, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I grew up on that stuff. And, yep. Yeah. Great Outdoors is one of my favorite uh, comedies. Just f- one of my favorite movies. I love that movie so much. To, di- to this day, Yakety Yak gets stuck in my head all the time because mm-hmm. of that movie. Uh-huh. And I have like a just a fondness <laughs> for that song just because... <laughs> Of that movie, I would say. Oh, yes. And that's got Dan Aykroyd. And Aykroyd is uh, yeah. Roman. Roman something mm-hmm. was his name. Yeah, Ro- yeah Roman. Um, th- there's a lot in this movie, I think. One of the things is comedies have a tough time aging well sometimes. Yeah, because what's funny back then might not be... Yeah, funny, be- or might not even be okay to joke about. You yeah, know, that like humor is, a lot of times. humor is so incredibly subjective... This one ages well, and I think it's because it doesn't rely. It's part of that satire and playing everything straight, but it also doesn't rely on a lot of um, dated jokes. Dated, yeah. The absurd top secret has a joke that I've never gotten my entire life. (laughs) He talks about putting them on the. He he talks. He's on the train talking uh, to one of the German officers, and he says he's going to put them on like the something month like monthly club list or something like that. I have no idea what he's talking about. Mm, and anyone I've to... watched talk about the movie also doesn't know what that means. <laughs> so it's like, I... okay, that's one of those dated jokes that doesn't yeah. translate because it doesn't exist anymore. Huh. I'd have to, I'd have to watch that scene again. It's been a while since I've seen top secret. So, okay. Um, I know you guys watched it just recently because Steven... we watched it. Like we watched it on our stream when we did botched films mm-hmm. then we watched it to show my roommate who had never seen it like two days later <laughs> oh, nice. and then uh my female friend uh, had never seen it so i watched it like another five days later so yeah hadn't oh, seen wow. it in like a decade and then watched it three times in like a week <laughs> that's awesome um but yeah i think because it doesn't rely on dated humor and it's like it's looney looney tune style humor i think is a perfect way to put it Right, like yeah. the building blowing up or the cars all falling over each other. That's the type of humor that can just sort of be timeless in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Now, some of it doesn't, like the the phone booth gag is funny. I still found it really funny, but sure. there's going to be people, if not now, soon, that don't even know what a phone booth is. And they're like, why are they standing in that little thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's even then, the the gag is still funny. 
like yeah. shooting a flamethrower at the at the giant like there's a phone booth with a huge propane tank next to it that for, says like absolutely no smoking yes. next to it or something like that i was like that's blown up there's no way that that <laughs> giant tank that says absolutely no smoking next to it is not going to explode and then yep so sure enough there comes carrie fisher with a flamethrower yep and then it shoots them way up in the air and it lands and they just again get up brush well, themselves of off <laughs> yeah walk away <laughs> Um, that was okay. There was one deleted scene in the extended version. I don't think would have been in one you saw where the gas station blows up towards the end. Did you see that? No, that that didn't blow up a gas when they, when they drive away from the gas station where they stopped to fill up because they ran out Mm -hmm. of gas and then they had to push the car. Um, yeah, they, you see him where he's tying the, using the shirt or the cloth to tie the handle. Um, yeah. And then they just kind of walk away from it. In the extended version, as they're driving away, or they overfill the gas tank. So you just see gas spraying all over everywhere, which, of course, okay. again, couldn't happen today. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they drive away, you see uh, Jake throw a cigarette out the window, and it lights okay. all the gas on fire, and the whole gas station explodes behind him. And it's huge. Because in the theatrical cut, uh, John Belushi just says, like, uh, oh, oh crap or something along those lines oh, yeah, yeah. they're late and then it just cuts like mm-hmm. there's not even them leaving the gas station it's just boop boop so it's like okay well, that was kind of a weird abrupt but that makes sense if there's like this whole other thing in there where they blow up the gas station and okay. I, that was that was another one where Landis was like I'm not actually sure why we cut that because it's a pretty good gag like mm-hmm. um, yeah. and then there was one other thing he pulled out of his briefcase Ackroyd did when they got to when they were sneaking their way into the concert um, he pulled out some cans that he had stolen from his job before he quit earlier, and it was some sort of a mixture, and he put it in the tires of the cop cars. Okay. So then when they go to leave and all the cop cars try to chase them, half the cars, their tires start blowing up, and there's like oh. this whole gridlock before they all kind of get going and, and get moving again. So those were a couple of scenes. Huh. Again, they don't really push the plot along, but they were kind of funny gags. Sure. Yeah. More of that, yeah. More of that Bugs Bunny humor. Um, oh, yeah. Just more things that are in his briefcase or bag of tricks that for some reason he has. <laughs> the only thing that would have been better if it had Acme written on the side of it. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like it's it's basically a bunch of cartoon gags and music. It's interesting because there's the plot, uh, which if you think about the plot of this movie, it actually doesn't mm-hmm. make sense because it's a church building that's being taxed. Yeah. <laughs> which. Yeah. Kind of well, doesn't work. They mentioned but... the church is the one selling the building to like the school system or something like that. So it sounds like the church oh, was the one that was, was just going to sell the building. But they but they were being taxed like mm-hmm. they owed property taxes or something like that. And yeah. the church was just like because the, the, the penguin uh, mentions that, well, the church just wants to get rid of it, has been wanting to get rid of this building for a mm, while. So okay. now this just gives them an excuse to sell it to you know whoever i thought it was a school district but i don't know yeah uh but i mean it, it's a loose plot to basically string together some sure. musical numbers and some skits yeah. which when you think about it in the context of other saturday night live based movies it's basically what they are because you're taking a short form yeah. sketch and you're yeah. trying to flesh it out into a movie that doesn't yeah. always work you end up and comedies do this a lot anyway, where it's a collection sure. of short scenes that you just sort of try mm-hmm. to tie together. Super yeah. Troopers is a perfect example of that. Super Troopers oh, is just sketches that they loosely threw a plot together with. Um, yeah. But it works. 
it just it, it's funny because they pace it well and they just keep moving along. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when your when your leads are John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, you can get away with quite yeah. a bit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the the yeah. the loose plot with the SNL threads, I merely think of like Night at the Roxbury. Mm-hmm. Like that movie just it was eh, it just didn't do anything. But also the plot didn't make sense there. But is not a memorable movie like this. Like to compare those two, sort of, they come from the same place. They both come from SNL, but mm-hmm. like one was handled a certain way that was both creative in terms of like the cinematography, like they mm-hmm. took everything serious. Whereas Night of Roxbury was just kind of a, it's just a, go, it's, it's just a long skit basically. Yeah. Now I would say, so here's the list of films based on SNL skits. Okay. So okay. you got the first one, Blues Brothers. Then it was okay. a 12 year gap before another one came out. And that was Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Great movie. So from 92 to 95, you had Wayne's World, Coneheads, mm-hmm. Wayne's World 2, It's Pat, and Stuart Saves His Family. All came out in that era. And then... It's on board to the last two. Uh, yeah. His first three were great. <laughs> uh, and then a few years later, 1998, um, actually, uh, Aykroyd comes back with John Landis, and they made Blues Brothers 2000, which I don't like to talk mm-hmm. about because it's terrible. That's um, what everyone tells me. And then you get... Uh, that same year was Night at the Roxbury. 98. Uh, the next year was Superstar. And then The Ladies' Man in 2000. So you sort of had yeah. a couple little... You had 92 to 95, and then 98 uh, to 2000 was a bunch of stuff. Then it was 10 more years before MacGruber. Yeah. And then there hasn't been one since. Yeah. Um, now... I don't think SNL's just been as popular as it was. It so hasn't like, been. That's, that's So then they're, they're not going to make movies from skits because they don't, they're just not popular enough to get them. Well, and they're very hit or miss. I mean, this movie made in the U.S. It made about fifty-seven mm-hmm. million, uh, one hundred and fifteen worldwide. It was a huge hit sure. overseas, bigger than I think people thought. Because hmm. part of the thing was this movie had a big budget, but it was interesting. Uh, Aykroyd and Belushi were both gone from SNL by the time this movie came out. They had left the okay. s- the show the previous season. Um, they it almost was too late of a movie to capitalize on the Blues Brothers craze because they're. Their album, I think, had been out for a year prior to this, um, mm. all that stuff. But it it managed to become a cult classic in the U.S. and do big numbers overseas, and which is really really impressive. And that's why it ended up 115 million worldwide. Wayne's World was a huge hit, 121 oh, yeah. million in the U.S. Big big time hit. Mm-hmm. Coneheads didn't do great. It was only 21 million. Um, Wayne's World two was good, but it didn't do nearly as well as the first one. It's yeah. Pat. Uh, I'm looking at this right now. That had a budget of around eight million dollars. Yeah, it made like sixty grand. Yeah, it was bad. I can't. Yeah, uh, Stewart saves his family was another one. They, not mm-hmm. high budget. I mean, that one was six point three million, but it didn't even make a million dollars at the box office. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they've gone down since then. Even MacGruber, which MacGruber is better than it has any right to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still not even ten million at the box office. You know, yeah. the, the, and I think that's why we're not seeing them anymore. It's hard to turn a, a sketch, something that's a, you know, two or three minutes, even a, a recurring one yeah. into a movie. And I think that's where like Blues Brothers, Wayne's World and Coneheads managed to figure something out and mm-hmm. convert those. I think Coneheads of those three is the weakest one, but it's still pretty fun. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Because it's so absurd. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but Wayne, well, that's like, what Dan Aykroyd does. Is that's true. Like, yeah, uh, we we talked about how you know with this movie he had like three hundred pages and they like whittled it down. <laughs> Compare that to Nothing But Trouble, where he just did everything he thought of. Like, have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, <laughs> that movie's yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. But that's also like a Looney Tunes movie. Like this, it's like very dark and serious at, at spots, and also very Looney Tunesy at other spots. Yeah, but like. That's one where he, I think he directed that and wrote it and start like starred in it basically. Yeah. But like they gave him free reign to do whatever he wanted. And then that's the weird, crazy stuff he did. He, I've, I've kind of find Dan Aykroyd to be sort of like George Lucas, really good with an editor. Yes. Like have so, like a, somebody on the back who's just going to take your idea and then just whittle it down into something a little bit cleaner and better to go. Well, this movie is an example of that. Ghostbusters is yep. another example yep. because the original concept for Ghostbusters was insane. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, it had them traveling through time because it was it was Aykroyd and John Belushi, and they were like traveling uh, through time, and they were fighting ghosts. They were basically inter- time traveling ghost janitors, was okay. kind of how it was described. And it was cri- like there was no way you were going to be able to make that in '84. As groundbreaking as the effects were in Ghostbusters, what he had in in mind to start was way mm-hmm. far out there. It took Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman essentially to rein him in. Yeah, and you're right. I think Aykroyd. That's a good comparison with George Lucas because I say this a lot about George Lucas. I think he is a great idea man and he is a fantastic marketing person. Yeah. His screenwriting leaves a bit to be desired to put, to put it nicely. And I don't Mm -hmm. think he's a particularly fantastic director. I don't think he's bad by any stretch, but he works better when he's got people that can, can rein him in and kind of tell him no and be like, Maybe maybe try this, George. And I think Aykroyd's yeah. very, very similar because Aykroyd has got all sorts of ideas. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are crazy. Um, mm-hmm. But when he can be reined in and brought in and get yeah. pair something down, you can get some really good stuff. I think, and granted, I went through that list and it's not a whole bunch of great movies, but this is sure. my second favorite SNL skit turned into a movie. I love Wayne's World. The first Wayne's oh, yeah. World for me is just... There's something about that era of Mike Myers and mm-hmm. Dana Carvey that just mm-hmm. works. And the jokes yeah. in that movie play well. There are a few that didn't age great. Yeah. But on the whole, Wayne's World is is really, really solid. I actually don't hate Wayne's World too. There's a lot of funny stuff I, in that yeah, too. I don't I don't mind that movie at all. Yeah, I uh there was even a, a clip I was trying to find of that movie to show to somebody else, and I cannot find it where basically Dana Carvey it's like the it's the scene where Dana Carvey is being propositioned to murder Kim Basinger's uh husband oh yes 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 and like gives him the gun and all this stuff and then immediately leaves the house like, ah, and just runs away <laughs> yep uh because somebody else on another show uh Adventure Inc was talking about it and I was like what you just said is exactly what happens in this movie let me find this clip and I could not find it anywhere to give it to her <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I like that movie too. And you know, I, I personally, I really like Coneheads, but, um, but it is one of those really weird, wacky sort of premises with lots of just goofy stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I grew up with that movie. So maybe what, if I, if it was the first time I was seeing it as an adult, probably wouldn't like it as much as sort of that nostalgia thing where it's like, oh yeah, I like this as a kid. I'm an adult. I remember why I liked it as a kid. It's still okay to me. Yeah, I don't know. Hard, hard to separate that sort of thing. 
I mean, for me, like when I'm looking at this list of movies, I'm, I'm putting Wayne's World at the top for me. Blues Brothers is right behind it because I think this movie just, it holds up. It's a ton of oh, fun yeah. to watch. Oh, yeah. Wayne's World 2 and Coneheads fit right behind there. You've got a little bit of a gap. You get to MacGruber, and then there's a long way to go before you start talking about Stuart Saves His Family and It's Pat and the rest of them. Like, There's some, yeah. some bad ones. And I think because Wayne's World had... Wayne's World and the Blues Brothers, and even Coneheads to an, to an extent, have this uh, kind of built-in world that they can mm-hmm. form around. Whereas yeah. It's Pat or Stuart Saves His Family or Night at the Roxbury, Superstar, uh, they're a single character yeah. that you're going to drop into whatever world it is. Yeah. In this case, they usually try to drop them into, and it's, it's this weird eccentric character being dropped into the real world. Yeah. And how that works in that sort of fish out of water. That doesn't work as well as when you say it Coneheads kind of does that, but because it's a family of people and it's so they're an alien, there's a mm-hmm. lot of built in kind of tropes you can go to for that that work. Sure. And that's where this works because the Blues brothers themselves are silly. Mm-hmm. But we can learn a little bit about their past, enough to know that they were orphans, that they lived in the orphanage, and yep. they, they got to save this uh, because they want to go straight. They don't want to be, and, and by straight, I mean they don't want to be criminals anymore. Sure. Uh, and, and so that is enough to go on and then getting the band back together that it works and it can work kind of in this weird sort of hyper-stylized version of the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, Wayne's world is the same way. You know, Wayne and Garth are you're never going to actually meet somebody that is like Wayne Campbell, like exactly yeah. like that. But yeah. when you, when you frame him in the movie, the way that they do, it just works. And that's the same thing with the blues brothers. Whereas like it's Pat, it's hard to, that just doesn't translate well beyond a few yeah. minutes. There's only a few minutes of material there. And when you try to stretch that out, Night at the Roxbury was one that I never understood because the skit itself was just a, was just about them dancing to that song. Yeah. That's it. How do you tr- stretch that into an hour and a half movie? I don't. don't. I don't get it. You don't. So. That's the answer. You don't. <laughs> the, well, with it's Pat and um, the Stewart one. The other thing is, like, those are two super awkward characters mm-hmm. that are just like everything that has to do with them is awkward. Yes. And a lot of audience go like myself included. I hate movies that are just like super awkward, like. Uh, what was the one movie that everybody loved, but I couldn't stand it. It was like dinner with the schmucks or something like that. Oh like, yeah. Dinner with schmucks. It was just was nonstop one. awkwardness. And I don't like that. Cause I always feel like super. So, so it just like gave me social anxiety watching yep. it. And that's how I feel with those. I'm very, very much the same way when it comes yeah. to that. Like it, it's tough. That's why you got it's Pat Stuart saves his family. Uh, superstar. Yeah. Same you thing. Know, yeah. Super awkward character. I like Molly Shannon a lot. Oh yeah. She's yeah. great. The character mm-hmm. is funny in a, in a skit. In a skit. Yeah. Doesn't work in a movie. No. Um, the ladies' man was better because I think that character, while still being awkward, it's not cringy awkward. Mm-hmm. The same way that Superstar or Pat or Stuart is, but it still doesn't fully work. MacGruber, MacGruber because it's such a satire of MacGyver and yeah. sort of all of that is why that works yeah. better than it should. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those things, but yeah, for me, Wayne's world and blues brothers are kind of right up there at the top. I, I just, I, I saw Wayne's world when I was younger 
than mm-hmm. when I first saw the Blues Brothers when I first like fully watched it. So that True. that has the nostalgia factor for me. Hundred percent. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm same. I would say the same thing. And I would say Wayne's World and Blues Brothers. Now that I've seen Blues Brothers, very very close to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, they yeah. scratch different niches for me. So like, sure. I don't know. Even though they are both based around music, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering Wayne's World, I mean, it's not like they play a whole lot of music. It's not like it breaks out into musical numbers. It's based in the world of music, but doesn't yes. really have to do with music that much. Right. If I'm remembering yeah. right. No, it definitely. It's it's. Music is a part of it, but it's not the driving force. Whereas yeah. this one, music is the driving force. Getting the band back together and what they had to yeah. go through to do that. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> Plus, yeah, anytime Ackroyd can do his Chicago accent, I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, and this movie, this movie is quotable. This has some good quotes. The, oh yeah, the it's 106 miles to Chicago. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Four fried chickens and a coke. We talked about earlier on a mission from yep. God. Uh, the look. This that that great iconic look like it's it's such a cool like anybody can do a cosplay of yeah, I was the telling Blues Joe, Brothers. I was like you and Tristan should be doing a Blues Brothers cosplay. Why have you two not done this cosplay? <laughs> He's like, well, you and I could do. It. I was like, no, Tristan is literally Belushi. Just do it with. There you <laughs> go. Like they they have the same body type and everything. Like you're a little taller than him. It all works out. Boom. Mm-hmm. Blues yeah, brother. and and it's and it's a great costume because as you see two people dressed like that, you know it's Jake and Elwood immediately. Boom, immediately, yeah. they do. When I was at Universal Studios Florida, they have the Bluesmobile that drives around, and they actually have mm-hmm. a little uh, little Blues Brothers band that will play shows uh, That's cool. at Universal Studios, which is a ton of fun too. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that. I love the car. I love the old uh, the old Dodge sedan. It's it's just cool. Orange whip. For some reason, I thought having never seen this movie. I thought in my head that the Blues Mobile was just a black like Cadillac esque car, just like mm-hmm. jet black. So when the movie happens and it's this crappy old cop car <laughs> with like faded paint and everything, I was like, "Do they paint it black at some point?" No, they never do. I don't know nope. how that that got in my head. I was like, "Okay, don't." Well, that that's another one of those great. And I almost used it for the opening of the show is when they're in the car and he's like, "Wait, you traded the car?" Because I, I have the one where he talks about you traded the car for a microphone yeah. and, and everything that blade. But uh, there's there's a line in the movie where Ackroyd's like, yeah, it's got a cop engine. It's got cop tires, cop suspension, yep. like all that kind of like that's yeah. so that that's another one of those good ones. And then um, when he jumps the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, because it's when he says little... it. he jumps the bridge and then he goes into all the stuff that this cop car can do. Yeah. OK. Yeah, the car's got a little pickup to it. Catalytic <laughs> like, converters. I love I love Jake's reaction to jumping that bridge because it's like, huh, I guess this car does have a little pickup. Like you just yeah. nothing phases. Totally the nonchalant. So great. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> this movie is just a ton of fun. And if you haven't seen yeah. it, I mean, yeah, we've talked about everything that goes on in, but you're not getting spoiled because nah. there's nothing to spoil in this movie. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it's worth finding, uh, find a version of it. Uh, you can, re- I mean, it's rentable, right? You can, you sure. can go to your, your Apple or, or Google or whatever and rent it for four bucks and it's worth watching for the music alone. I think it's worth watching. And then oh, yeah. to have the humor that it has and to have the cinematography mm-hmm. that it does, like you get a few different layers on here, which is great. Yeah. And the staying power. I, I would say this is, so there are certain movies that I think are really good, but are movies that I'd never want to watch ever again. This is oh, yeah. one of those movies. This is a movie I could watch repeatedly and still have fun with it every time, even knowing what's going to happen. Like uh, uh, a Requiem for a Dream, never going to watch that movie again. No. But it's a good movie, but I do not want to watch it again. 
So uh, it, yeah, I had the same thing with uh, I saw a monster for the first time doing this show, uh, and that movie's phenomenal. Charlize well, Theron and mm-hmm. and Christina Ricci are amazing in it. Uh, I never want to watch that movie again, ever. And yep. but it's it's amazing. It's so good. I just sure. no thanks. Um, yeah. This is a movie though. This this is one of those that can be like a comfort food movie. This is like mac and cheese of yes. movies where it's you yes. just put it on even if you're if you're not gonna you don't even like, have to watch it you can put it in the background because yeah, the music a lot like the one-liner or not even one-liners but like just the the dialogue or whatever yeah you don't have to actively watch it now when you start to hear car crashes your eyes are probably going to just move over and start watching because as oh, you know sure. you can't look away from a car crash but. no not at all not only that but a car crash where it's just Car after car after car, and then all the cops get out of the car and just start shooting down firing. the street. Yeah, they just started firing wildly <laughs> in the street. I was like, "What?" <laughs> it's so oh, it's so ridiculous, and it's so much fun. And I oh, think yeah. that's that's really what it comes down to. Is this movie is just it's fun, simple. It it it's not going to challenge you, but not every movie needs to. Not everything has to yeah. be high art. This is just entertainment. It's a lot exactly. of fun. You get some good blues music. I mean. You got a movie that's got Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, and John Lee Hooker all get to do a song in it, and James Brown. Yeah, and that's without the, way, the main band playing. James Brown is the the, the pastor. Perfect casting. Mwah. Like, just chef's yeah. kiss. So good. <laughs> yeah. Cleophith. Cleophith mm-hmm. James. <laughs> yeah, and then Cap- the, I I when they're doing the song and. He just starts to shake, and Dan Arkin's like, yeah. "You all right, Jake?" And then the light hits him. And he's just like, "The band!" And I was like, "I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm enjoying this." <laughs> oh, Ace, thank you. Yes, Shaka Khan is in the um, choir of that church. Oh, okay. She's kind of the choir soloist, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then Paul Rubens has a cameo appearance. Pee Wee Herman is the waiter yeah, yeah, yeah. at the, he was at one the of restaurant. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very young Paul Rubens. Very young, and and that was mm-hmm. cool. So I, I I enjoyed that. It's it's great, absurd, over the top humor that's played down the middle and straight, which makes it more, which makes it funnier. Sure. Um, that that restaurant sure. scene, by the way, <laughs> I loved so much, especially when he gets because he because uh, John Belushi could definitely his character could definitely tell the guy behind him is very stuffy and not <laughs> yep. into that, and he's just like, "How much for your daughters and your wife?" I want to he's buy like, your I children. Come, I want to buy your children. And he's like, we will literally come back for breakfast, lunch, and dinner unless you join the band. <laughs> and how he's quickly like, he flips back and forth from that. He's dealing oh, yeah. with that guy, and then he turns around to talk to his buddy like, we will be here every day if we need to. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So I'm good. glad that you got to watch this, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it, too. That's, oh, yeah. That's always something that I hope for. I don't expect mm-hmm. every time, but I hope that I get to show somebody a new movie. And when it's a movie, when it's a comedy and when it's a 40 year old comedy, you're never quite sure yeah. because you're viewing it today. You're not viewing it in 1980. So some, sometimes that can be tricky, yeah. but you know, for the reasons we've talked about tonight, like this one is one that you can just plop down at any point and you're fine with it. Well, so there are many occasions where, People will recommend a movie like nonstop, just keep talking about it all the time, like how good this movie is. And then it's like talked up and talked up and talked up. And then I finally watch the movie and I don't see what's so good about it. Mm-hmm. Like to, to be honest, you're probably going to crucify me for this. and That's totally fine. I was told that about The Godfather and I watched it and this was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't really. I mean, it's fine. It's good, but I don't it's not blown me away in any particular way. 
So one but thing I think that's because it was you know yeah. talked up so much. One thing that that I will always fall back on is I will never get on somebody for not liking something if it just doesn't connect with them. Okay. If you and and expectations play a huge role in a movie because yeah. if a movie gets talked up and talked up and talked up and then you see it and it doesn't immediately blow your hair back then it's then it's fallen short of those expectations and it's not going to connect with you that way. You don't have the the history with it, you don't have the nostalgia with it. If I sat somebody down today and showed them Running Scared, which is easily in my top 3 movies, favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. For me, it is the pinnacle of a buddy cop film. Yeah. It is I love Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines and their chemistry and all of that. But if I showed somebody that movie and they were like, man, I don't get it. And I've been talking it up to them. I understand that. And that's yeah. fine. Like, I don't have a problem with that. The Godfather is one of those. It, it Because it's like showing somebody Citizen Kane who's never seen it before. And, mm-hmm. it you know, because it always makes top 10 lists and it's always considered one of yep. the greatest films ever made. And then somebody watches it and it just doesn't doesn't strike them because... Uh, movies hit us at certain points in time. Uh, yeah. One of the first movies I did for this show was Fight Club. And I have a connection with that movie for me personally because I was the perfect age for that movie to hit me being, I was about 17, 18 when it came out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was the target audience for it. So for me, that movie has, and because of that, because I have the history with it, I'm able to watch it multiple times and as I've grown older and watched it more and more, I take different things from it. Somebody that I showed it to, uh, Faye in the chat room, was my guest on that one, or one of my guests, and she saw it, and it didn't do anything for her. But she was seeing it 20 years after it had come out. And, and that idea had been done quite a few times exactly. already. Like uh, that, at that time, I feel like with Fight Club, we hadn't really seen a, like a story with that sort of plot. Mm-hmm. But now it's been done a few times, so yeah, it doesn't have that yep. same sort of like kick you in the teeth, like oh moment. Yeah, if you've uh, already, if you've already seen it, and there are definitely movies that have that happen to them. Uh, another one is Blade Runner. I know people that have seen Blade Runner, and they're like, I don't get what's so great about it. It's like, well, well, at the time it came out, nothing had been done that way. You hadn't seen anything like it. Now we've seen derivatives of it for thirty five years. Blade Runner's a tough one because. Not everybody likes a slow burn, and Blade Runner is a slow burn. That's I true. love Blade Runner. I mm-hmm. love the the world building on stuff. I like slow burns, but I get, I know a lot of people that that's just not their jam. They mm-hmm. want to get in, get out, that sort of thing, like a two hour movie. Yeah, and uh, so Blade Runner is one of those where, even if somebody was seeing it back then, like if somebody today I know that doesn't like slow burns saw it back then. They might get blown away by the the effects and everything, but I don't think they'd still like the movie because it's just not their kind of jam. Yeah, I mean, some movies aren't going to hit people, and some movies are going to be a product of their time. And if you're, and if especially uh, like a Blade Runner or Alien, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a progenitor. Uh, Halloween is another good one. I saw a, a YouTube reviewer talk about the original Halloween and rated it like a two out of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think a lot of that was he didn't have a connection with it, and it yeah. and and because that formula and that style of movie has been done so much over the years and parodied yeah. and all of that, mm-hmm. that you're no longer you're not getting that impact that yeah. you do when you when when Alien is fresh and nothing has really been like that before. You don't really have a haunted house in space, mm-hmm. um, you know that kind of stuff. So 
it really is contextual, and which is why I would never, I would never rake you over the coals for not liking Godfather. Although I disagree, um, sure, but it's definitely not for well, everyone either. That, now, having said that, I so the only time I've seen that movie was in high school. Mm-hmm. So, eighteen years later, I might have a different appreciation for that movie, knowing what I know now about films. So, that's that another thing. Yeah, where it we also are depends in our life. on what age you are. Yeah, yeah where you are in your life and how you think about film. I think about film so differently now than I did 10 years ago, than I did 20 years ago. And I've wanted, I've been around film and filmmaking for 25 years. I was doing projects and stuff in high school and and all that. But my thinking about how it goes is continuously Mm -hmm. evolved. So when I, when I do go back and watch certain movies now, I can think about them in their context a little bit differently than I would Mm -hmm. have as a 20 year old. So it does make a difference too. Well, back in high school, like we would have never had the conversation about cinematography. Like I, just, I, I, I didn't understand that. Um, but like as an adult, I understand like maybe not understand is the right word, but appreciate like good cinematography or like something that's different or just like the creative way something can be shot. I wouldn't have really got that um, back then. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, as you were saying, it all depends on time, experience and all that jazz. Uh, plus your tastes and your likes and dislikes, they, you know, evolve over time too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm glad that you got to watch this and now you can, Phil can get off your back about it. So, <laughs> yeah. and now you guys can throw it on whenever you want because you own it. You got That's that true. Blu-ray. Now you got that yeah. fancy, fancy Blu-ray. Um, so, Dennis, we came up randomly in the middle of the movie and he's just like, oh, you're watching it. And he brought his <laughs> bottle of wine. He sat down. He's just like, it's so, and he's just sitting there like. Like a, a a happy, you know, dogs get that happy feet thing. Yep. That's yep. that was Phil for the entire time we were watching. Like, okay, <laughs> that's no. it's okay. Calm that's down. So man. good. <laughs> I love that. Now you two do uh, a show together. Um yes. Botched. So let people for people that either don't remember when Phil talked about it or don't aren't familiar sure. with your stuff. Let people know what they can where they can find that and kind of what you're working on. Sure. So Botched, a D&D podcast, is an improv comedy show draped in the loose, rotting skin of Dungeons & Dragons, is the nice. way that I like to phrase it. It is an actual play podcast. We are playing D&D, but uh, we very rarely these days even do anything in that sort of fantasy genre. Okay. Like this current season, it's present day sort of zombie apocalypse a little bit. The last season was a space exploration The one before that was 1932 New York Lovecraft. Like, we just do kind of whatever. I kind of want to do a Western for the next season because I really love Westerns. That'd be fun. Um, We watched Tombstone recently on Botched Films. And then everybody else on the show, because Phil doesn't like Westerns, he loved Tombstone. Mm -hmm. And Jenna loves that, too. So she was like, can we do a Western? I was like, yeah. Can we do a Western? Let me do a Western. (laughs) See, I I think Westerns are a thing where... So many people say, I don't like Westerns, but all they think about are like John Wayne. Exactly. Very different from a spaghetti Western, Clint Eastwood, or yeah. uh, um, the guy with the harmonica who did all the, um, oh, I can't, uh, Richard Bronson. Uh, like those types of Westerns. Like very, very oh, yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even today, like uh, Bone, Bone Tomahawk, very mm-hmm. different type of Western from a John Wayne uh, Western, that sort of thing. But um, sorry to get off topic, but nope, so nope. botched a and d podcast, all your podcatchers. You can also find us at botchedpodcast.com, also at patreon.com slash botchedpodcast, where we get all kinds I, I can't even remember. We have thousands of hours of bonus content and all kinds of other weird, crazy stuff. Um, so there's that. And then uh, part of the reason I'm on the show tonight with uh, Travis, which I very much appreciate, is that I launched a Kickstarter 
not this last Friday, but the one before that, I coincided with Dragon Con uh, for my first ever comic book called Lycan Solomon's Odyssey. It's about the world's first werewolf. And so this first book is set in 8000 BC, and then each book basically moves through different periods of time, following around the same character, but seeing different like mythologies and uh, societies and civilizations and stuff like that. So this first book is sort of the origin story, uh, 60 pages, fully illustrated. The book is completely done. So if anybody, uh, you know, is kind enough to support the project, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, what's the not getting anything in return because that does happen sometimes i've had that happen to myself a number of times where you donate to a project and then you never hear from them again well the mm-hmm. book is totally done so nice no worries i have said numerous times uh one way or another this book series is getting done because i started this idea over a decade ago and then shelved it because i didn't think it could ever be a realistic possibility and then through Dragon Con, meeting all these other podcasters, I pitched the idea to them, and everyone liked it so much that it sort of rekindled things. And for five years, we sort of, I put a team together of artists, and I like to say that even if my writing isn't that good, it's a damn pretty book to look at. Like, it's really nice to look at. So even, you know, even if you don't like the way I wrote it, it's really pretty to look at. So you can just you not read anything and just flip pages. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with but, that. Yeah, but actually in the first, so we just passed the first week. It's 65% funded so far. Excellent. Um, so I'm I'm super pleased with how much it's, you know, gained in such little time. Um, but you can check it out by searching for Lycan, as in L-Y-C-A-N, Solomon's Odyssey on Kickstarter. Or you can go to www.hiveheadstudios.com or www.lycanbook.com. Or because I have really weird, crazy patrons over at Botched Podcast, you can go to www.clockfox.net, which was one of the <laughs> failed title ideas, and he's really jaded about it. So he bought the IP oh, <laughs> and nice. redirected it to the Kickstarter. <laughs> That's so. great. Awesome. Well, definitely, if you, uh, I have read that, uh, a little bit of that. You sent me some um, mm-hmm. to, to check out. It's worth it. Definitely. Definitely get on that. Uh, and, and that's awesome that you're already 65% of the way there. That's great. So definitely ch- check out Botched, first of all. It's good stuff. It's just, it is. You guys are great. And and Thanks. definitely check out the Kickstarter. And Dennis, thank you for being on. This was fun. Yeah, no, I had a great time. Uh, anytime you want to help me watch another movie that Phil or someone else is constantly hounding me about, more than happy to. <laughs> it's a, It gives me a reason to, to actually sit down and watch it. Yeah, Kurt <laughs> is of- in the... In the chat right oh, now, God. saying of he can't believe you watched chat. this movie. I know he's the he's the other one that's the biggest <laughs> monkey on my back constantly. Uh, we used to do a Sunday show where every week he's like, "You need to watch it by next week," and I'd be like, "Yeah, no, I totally watch it." And then the next week would roll. He's like, "You watch?" I was like, "Yeah, totally watch it." They uh, were black suits, uh, music. Yeah, I saw it. He's just like, "What was the, what were their names?" I was like, uh, "Blues, Blues Brothers." Yes, uh, it's uh, Phil, Fred and uh, and Jerry Blues. Yep. Fred and Jerry mm-hmm. Blues, those are the guys, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> they were they were in Memphis, right? Memphis, Tennessee? Yeah, exactly. 100%. <laughs> That's all. Well, again, thank you so much for being on. This was a ton of fun. You're definitely welcome back anytime. You, Phil, everybody. Um, and we got to figure out when I can get on to Botched uh, Film. Oh, 100%. And, and definitely watch something there. Oh, so. Botched Films, or if you want to come be a murder hobo, Travis, Ooh. you are more than welcome to come on the show and just be as crazy as you'd like. You know, I think because... you could be convinced for that. Okay, because uh, you'd think that some of the guests we have on are going to be like nice and not 
murderous like Kate the Chemist we just had on? No. Her and Anthony Rapp, they're worse. They're even worse than the rest of the Bosch guys. They're just murder on site all the time. So (laughs) have at it to your heart's content. (laughs) That sounds like fun. I'm in. I'm all about that. Well, now this show, uh, I record live uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And if you like the show, um, the easiest way to find it is tvstravis.com because I gave it a terrible name with punctuation and it's hard to find when you search. If you do, you can search for weight you haven't seen. Uh, You're going to either find this show or you're going to find one where the album art is like a dog with its tongue sticking out that somebody drew that hasn't done a new episode in uh, several years. So, uh, yeah, I, either way, um, go to tvstravis.com. You can find the show there. You can subscribe from there to, you know, via Apple or, um, Google or any of the other podcasting platforms and uh, a rate and review, um, would be super helpful because it does make the show more discoverable. The more reviews I can get, the more people can find it when they're just looking. Uh, so you don't, you don't always have to just do word of mouth, although I appreciate that too. Uh, and I am working on some Kickstarter or uh, some Patreon stuff that hopefully will be coming in the near future. So if you want to be able to to help me out financially and back the show and keep it going, um, you know, uh, I would greatly appreciate that. Everybody that comes by, Ace, um, in the chat, Danny Ora, Phelan, uh, Vio by Kurt. I mean, Kurt's in there tonight. That's that's awesome. Uh, I saw Leaping Duck and Essential Tremor earlier. Steven, uh, Orange Whips. Forgot about that. That was another great one. Somebody actually made an Orange Whip uh, drink. Mm-hmm based off of the, this movie. Um, so all you guys in the chat, you're great. I love having you there. Um, and, and the show, you know, it comes out every Wednesday as a podcast as well. So, uh, if you can't come and hang out live, that's fine. Uh, tvstravis.com subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. We're 131 episodes in, in 131 weeks, uh, straight. I haven't missed one. And, uh, I'm just going to keep doing it on, cause I don't know how to stop and I'm afraid to. <laughs> Um, now, uh, next week, uh, what do I have next week? I can't remember which movie it was now. I know it's a good one. So I've got some fun stuff lined up. October is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, October, I'm getting back, uh, Monica and Faye. And this year we might be joined by, uh, another person and we're doing all horror movies again. Um, we've got some fun ones lined up. I'll be talking about soon next week. Ooh, that's right. Sean White, AKA Cyrenix is coming on. He has never seen Pulp Fiction. We're fixing that next week. It's a good... What I like about it is this is one of those movies also that comes with a lot of expectations. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it can live up to those expectations. So I'm really excited to talk about this movie too. Um, And then uh, The Birdcage is the week after that. Hmm. Um, And and that one is a movie that I have uh, a lot of personal connection to as well when it comes sure. to Robin Williams and mm-hmm. and all of that. So, uh without for, without further ado, I'm going to I'm going to end the show now. Um but come on back next week for pulp fiction. That's going to be fun. Dennis, once again, thank you. This has been great. We'll find another yeah, movie. For we'll have me. you back on. Let Phil know I'm gonna, I'm working on trying to come up with some stuff for him to come back on for. Okay. Uh so definitely we'll do that. Um until until next week, until I talk pulp fiction with Sean. I just remember to enjoy your movies and things are weird, but hey, be excellent to each other. There's been weight you haven't seen.
four fried chickens and a Coke. And some dry white toast, please. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>